The Rebrand Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, and I Hear Everything production. This podcast tells the stories of world-changing marketing campaigns as told by the people who build them. In each episode, you'll hear an earful of brilliance from a marketer who has brought an iconic brand to life. Ready to hear the secrets and untold stories behind the brands you love? Then sit back, relax, and get ready for the rebrand. Here's the host of the Rebrand Podcast, the CEO of OH Partners, Scott Harkey. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, where we tell the untold stories of world-changing brand campaigns as told by the marketers who built them. I'm your host and founder of OH Partners, Scott Harkey. And today we're going to hear and discuss the difference between the Celsius energy drinks and why Celsius is the best energy drinks. I love Celsius, so I can't wait to hear this. You've probably seen this drink out there. Joining us is Emmanuel Prost, who's the global lead brand thought leadership at Ipsos. He's also an adjunct professor at UCLA. Ipsos, which combines uh, the experience and areas of brand communications, advertising, marketing, technology, measure, and amplify how media and brands and consumers uh, connect through the content communication media world. Their research addresses fundamental business issues, often visible at the highest enterprise level. I can tell you that my strategy team always looks at Ipsos when we have a big pitch or we have a, a big problem to solve. They are the leaders in research, no question, which is why when Emmanuel and his folks reached out to us, it was a no-brainer to have them on the show. So we're going to talk a ton about marketing. This is the perfect guest for this show, which we're trying to get better at the art and science of marketing every single day. So again, join us today is Emmanuel, and uh, we're going to discuss how they differentiated the Celsius energy drink. All right, we got that. We got a professor, <laughs> we got a research guy, and we've got a great brand case study we're going to talk about. So this is exactly what this podcast is all about. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Scott, thank you for having me on the show. Thank you to our audience, our listeners today. I'm really excited to connect with, with you and your community. So, all right, so let, let's get right into it. Talked about Celsius. I mean, I I remember when it first came out, the can just looked better. It was it was good for you, better for you. That energy drink category, which I've worked in for years, worked at Pepsi and did a ton of stuff. And it is so crowded and so hard. How did you help them differentiate such a crowded marketplace with energy drinks? Yeah, so the energy drinks category got created by Red Bull, right? And it was a blue ocean type of market for Red Bull for a number of years, whereby they created the category and there was no competition. And the promise was a drink that gives you wings. What Red Bull did really well is address this need for a jolt of energy and create that image around extreme sports and a very high energy drink. Over time, the limitation for Red Bull was indeed this appeal to uh, extreme sports, uh, a drink that was not necessarily healthy or at least not perceived as such. And there was probably a limitation in terms of the audience Red Bull could reach. Party goers, for sure, people working late at night, but a very functional drink, if you will. And Red Bull 
has been missing and is still missing on, on the healthy segment. So what Celsius did well, and that's how they came out of almost nowhere and are now in the top three, top four. I believe they're top three. So it's Red Bull, Monster, then Celsius and Rockstar in that category. What Celsius did well is stick with the concept of a drink that gives you some energy, but do so in a healthier fashion and market that drink also to a different audience of health-conscious people, of athletes, people worried about uh, caffeine, for example, people looking for a healthier alternative on the energy drink market, and also people who will not just need to party or work at night, but were looking for a sense of well-being. So all this to say that Celsius managed to access to tap into a different audience, a larger audience, and also suggests additional ways to use the product. And in my opinion, or in my assessment, that is how Celsius managed to become number three in that market with limited marketing resources compared to the leader Red Bull. In your opinion for Celsius, how do you think they came up with the insight for finding this consumer? And did they consider stealing caffeine from somewhere? Was it other caffeinated drinks out there? Was there a coffee market? Did they think about it in terms of stealing share from somebody or, or did they think about it as creating a new healthy energy drink category with new people coming in? In my experience and in my assessment, Celsius kept what was good about energy drinks. For example, the format of a can that is smaller and therefore signals to the audience that the product is very potent. That is what made Red Bull success. Then that's where qualitative research is so important. That is where quantitative data is good to do some market sizing or give you a read on the market. However, quantitative data, sales data does not tell you why do people do what they do. So that's when it's beneficial to talk to consumers Again, athletes, health-conscious people, people who don't drink caffeine, people who are concerned with acid reflux, people concerned with anxieties, right? Caffeine is linked to anxieties. And when talking with these people, you will find out, and in fact, for full disclosure, I'm one of them, that you still would want a jolt of energy. However, you do not seek the extreme adventure that the Redwood brand advertises. And most importantly, you wouldn't want to have to become all, all jolty, like caffeine gives you these reactions, these side effects, if you will. So here, a typical example of a category that was saturated, a need that was established, and basically crafting a product around what we call product market fit, really. So a product that fits what an audience wants, but cannot find from Red Bull or Rockstar or Monster. That makes sense. And I do think there have been other people in that category. I know because I've worked on brands to um, successfully launch and they didn't make it. And I, I to your point, I, I would agree with you. It, it sounded like they really found what the functional benefit is and how it was differentiated you didn't really talk a lot about lifestyle. You you believe in terms of the core of the product, 
was successful because they really understood how they were differentiated from a product side and from a functional benefit side. Do you think they had other keys to success, such as their retail distribution strategy? Because I I know that's such a big part, especially in in CPG world. Yeah. So back to your first point, absolutely. I think it's about a product market fit around the lifestyle, the audience, unmet need, and the psychographics of those people, right? Because the other thing is with Red Bull, Rockstar, Monster, those are going to do very well on the 18 to 35. I would assume that Celsius also does well across other age categories. Now, you spoke at store level. Of course, it helps when you can do some vertical blockage, when you can have nice displays. And frankly, that's what made the success of Red Bull for a very long time. With that said, what Celsius is doing successfully is to get repeat business, repeat customers. In other words, it's pretty easy for any given brand, assuming you can afford it, to go to 7-Eleven and do some vertical blockage. It's easy simply because you just need to pay. What's not easy is to create a a tribe of consumers for your product that are not Mm. only Mm. going to purchase the product once, but will come back to the product and will tell their friends and family about the benefits of the product. And really that's, to this day, Mm. as simple as it sounds, the most impactful and by far the cheapest marketing strategy to have people to talk about the product and recommend the product to their friends and family. Oh, I love what you said. And I think we forget this a lot as marketers. The product has to be so damn good that you've created a tribe of word of mouth marketing. And to your point, it's easy to pay to get awareness or in the beverage world to get cans in hands which Monster was very successful in launching. It was, it was cans and hands. Red Bull always had, had, had led with brand first in a number of ways. But really, at the end of the day, it's about people that love what your product's all about, how it makes them feel. And really, product benefit, especially in CPG, is still the, the name of the game. So that, that's good to kind of bring us back a little bit. I always say nothing will kill a bad product faster than great marketing because people will try it and and it'll suck. So that's good kind of back to basics. I want to go back to your process. I mean, you're, I'm a sun devil as we talked about. So I I know you're at UCLA and they had a great football season this year and Coach Kelly's doing a a dang good job. I could never think about getting into UCLA because I went to ASU. But what do you think about, you know, what do you teach your students there? What, where... I've been critical at times of, of higher education and marketing programs. What do you think people are missing, especially early on marketers? Like where are the gaps right now? Um, are we still talking about the five P's like back in the day or how has marketing changed? How are you adapting? I guess just a bunch of loaded questions, but I got, I got the professor on. So let's, uh, I'd love to get your so, insight there. Uh, I'm delighted you're asking Scott, because I never get that question. And I, this is a great topic and I'd answer very directly. I think sometimes in higher education, there is too much uh, textbook learning, if you will. Correct. Theoretical, Theoretical shit. Content <laughs> that also does not necessarily age well. So uh, I'm actually not against the five P's and, and the SWAT, if you will. It's a nice to have. 
it's not necessarily very forthcoming in my opinion, though. So my teaching is a third of foundational learning. And what I mean by foundational learning is what is a focus group about? What is quantitative research? What about advanced analytics? So what you really need to learn from the textbook, second third of my teaching is case studies that I refresh all the time. Now, granted, that's a lot more work for me. It will be way easier to show up with the same slides over and over again. But that's really what makes it fun. And that's how we discussed one week a case study about Celsius. And maybe the week before, we discussed a case study about the Ninja Blender. And then we're going to talk about Lululemon and then about Nike, right? Depending on what's in the news. And the last third is for students to practice, to practice those new skills and to do so in class through group projects. So the intent is to arm students with the skills they will need for the next three to five years and to prepare them in foresight with those skills. What are you going to be able to leverage, to utilize as an outcome of this course? And my hunch with textbooks, all of them, I obviously have access to dozens of textbooks, is there's so much emphasis on the foundational learning, which is important, is often important, sadly, at the expense of what's most actionable sometimes. I love what you're saying. I could not agree more. There is definitely some foundational things in marketing that hasn't changed for 50 years. But the other tactical and strategic ways of delivering content to potential consumers and existing consumers changes right now every potentially 30 days. Exactly. <laughs> whether yeah. right, whether TikTok's like, all right, we're you know, we're out and you know, Facebook and Instagram are like, all right, well, we need to hit reels and we need to hit shorts. And so the, the craft changes very, very fast. And by the time I hear the case study, even within the industry at Can or Adweek or whatever that industry function is is old. And so what your students are doing, it sounds like, is listening to real world updated case studies and then getting to work and putting campaigns together and put and doing group projects, which this business is all about group projects. And let me tell you, if you're an asshole to work with in a group project, you're not going to work in marketing. It is a team sport. It is the ultimate team sport, which makes it hard, which also makes it beautiful. So I, I think a lot of professors can learn from what you're doing in, in your class. I'm always uh, critical of ASU at times. I think they've made some big steps and I think they do a lot of really great things. But to your point, like things can get outdated really quickly. So I, I love how you're thinking about it. Yeah, I like my teaching to be just like my writing, meaning very practical for people. What am I going to do? Meaning as a student or as a reader, what am I going to do better as an outcome of taking this course or as an outcome of reading this book. Show me what to do. What can I do immediately? How can I make an impact? And what is the shelf life? Meaning I want to learn things that will be useful, instrumental in my career for the next three to five years. That's my goal, both as an educator and as a writer. That's how I like my books to be. I love it. And and could you plug your book? I, I know you, sure. I think, originally wrote Brand Hacks, but I think you have a new book. I, I was LinkedIn stalking you. I mean, yeah. just uh, your accomplishments and your writing. I was like, hell yeah, I can't wait to have this guy. Could you plug 
your latest book now on Amazon. Um, I know you're a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling author. So I think uh, a lot of people can learn. I'd love you to plug your book really quick yeah, and you know, let us know what it's about. Thank you. My new book is called Assemblage, The Art and Science of Brand Transformation. And we can reflect on what we said about Celsius, for example. The point of marketing moving forward is not to just sell products. You already have dozens of energy drinks you can choose from. The point is to bring more to consumers and it is to create brands that transform people from who they are to who do they want to become, right? So that's where brands, the argument for the book is to say, brands can no longer just sell products. Brands must transform people and the world they live in. Brands must contribute to my identity project. Who am I? Who do I want to become? Must contribute to my local community, the world around me, my friends and, and family, and must also ideally make a positive impact on the world at large. And that's about recycling, upcycling, sustainability, diversity and inclusion, and so on and so forth. And in following this method, you create brands here again that will grow and sustain revenue in the long run. I'm strategic mindset, as you can tell, across everything I do, whether it's Ipsos or the teaching or the writing, once again, provide guidance on what we should do for the next three to five years. It is too tactical to think about, to only think about, hey, what am I going to advertise on Amazon to drive traffic over the weekend? <laughs> and that's fine, you can yeah. do this and you shouldn't, but you don't build a brand by doing so. You pump traffic into, well, towards a product display page on Amazon or your, your e-commerce platform if you're a DTC firm, for example. It is fine to do so. It's just not very sustainable and not very strategic. And it's very hard to make this model profitable as well in terms of return on ad spend, right? So how do I create a brand that is going to command a premium and that people are going to stick with for years to come? And talk to their friends and family about it. I love what you're talking about because, um, you know, having a process that's simplified for brand building, for brand marketers, and how you broke down the different segments from community. You didn't just talk about consumers and potential consumers, right? This is my argument with a lot of really great performance marketers. And I say this all the time, even the best in the world are doing addition in terms of adding people to their brand and being strategic and, and smart and beating algorithms by adding people to the tribe one by one. But brands are, are multipliers, right? And that's what you want. And that's when things get really efficient is when you are, are multiplying. Uh, but the thing I really took away from you that I want people to hear again, because I think it's brilliant and I actually haven't heard it said in this way, is the identity project and how you can play a role into someone's identity aspirationally. I think I said that right. Hopefully I didn't butcher that because I think that's a brilliant point. Say that again for for our listeners, because I think that's a major point as brands, how, because we, a lot of times brands talk so aspirationally, we're going to change the world and we're going to do this and we're going to do that and we need to do this and kind of people roll their eyes a little bit because, and it is a little out there. 
But the way you talked about just from a consumer standpoint of playing a role in their identity aspirationally with all these factors, I can, can you say that again? Because that I, I have not heard that in that way. And I want people to hear that again. Yeah, I'm happy to say this again and, and to expand on that. So what matters is people, not the brand, meaning the consumer and not even the consumer, but people are the heroes here. The brand is just here to facilitate this transition, again, from who am I to who do I want to become? What I mean by a personal identity project is this is why you might wear Nike clothes. This is why you assimilate with ASU through the university and the sports teams. This is why you drive a certain car, right? Your identity project, the extension of your identity is through consumption, is through brands. The brand's here to facilitate this transition into who do I want to become? So as such, it's crucial for the brand to position the consumer and not the brand as the hero. And when I say the hero, we can also, and I cover this in the book Assemblage, we also look at anti-heroes and even villains and even saviors. So those are archetypes, okay? And a hero is Batman, is Superman, he has superpowers to change the world. As a consumer, you might want to feel like this. That's what Red Bull did for years. Red Bull gives you wings. By drinking Red Bull, I'm going to feel extremely powerful. And that's a promise that makes sense. It doesn't have to be the only one. That's one archetype. Another archetype that's very interesting is anti-heroes. And an anti-hero is a character that can do something heroic, but also has flaws. So think in pop culture about Don Draper in Mad Men, for example. Think of Kaepernick as a football player. Think of, who else would we have? Johnny Depp, right, for example. Tony Soprano. Those are anti-heroes. And they are very relatable to people because while they have, I don't know if I should say they have superpowers, but while they're very talented, they also struggle. They also have flaws. They wrestle with themselves. And as such, they become very relatable. And that's an archetype that you can leverage in advertising. One example of a brand that does this very well is Equinox Health Clubs with a campaign that's Equinox made me do it. And you see someone with a black eye and you see someone jumping a fence, a white collar individual with a white shirt trying to jump a fence. You see a woman getting escorted out by security guards from a mansion. We believe she burglared. That's an anti-hero positioning, meaning I'm a bad boy. And That's my escape, right? So same thing for villains and saviors. They are relatable. They are sympathetic to the audience because they are not perfect. They're authentic. They're genuine. And as such, they're more relatable for us consumers than for us individuals. I I love that. And I talk about the hero's journey and I've got a book coming out called Resets or Reset, I can't decide. And I talk a lot about the hero's journey. So I I can't wait uh, to get my hands on your book I wish I would have already read it because I just relate in so many ways and, and understand what you're saying. And brands do have to relate on a human level. And that's why movies and, and shows are so popular as we see ourselves in the show and we're on our own hero's journey. And a brand playing a role in that makes complete sense. 
The other piece that I love that you touched on, and I've talked about it before in, in numerous brand workshops we've done for our clients, and it's, it's all around self-expressive benefits to your brand. And we talk a lot about functional benefits. Uh, we talked about some for Celsius, but really the self-expressive benefits of how other people perceive me because I'm affiliated with X, Y, and Z brand is a little old school way of thinking in terms of the brand wheel, but I still think it's very relevant. It sounds like you have some processes for that in your book that you outlined that I'm, I'm sure will be super helpful to people who have a board or a CEO or investors that they need to get on board to what they're doing with the brand aspirationally. So I have to wrap up because we are way over time, but I did not give a crap because we were talking about some really, really sophisticated brand building stuff. So I'm glad our audience got to hear that from you, the pro. But I am going to wrap up this episode of the Rebrand Podcast. But don't you worry, we're coming right back. Huge thanks to Emmanuel. He's a global lead brand thought leadership at Ipsos, which is an insane research company. I can't say enough good things about him. And we have our own research company that I helped build over the last seven years. But Ipsos is still the damn leader. And we've reached out to him, like I said, numerous times. I know other agencies have. So if you're in the business, you're like, oh yeah, I know Ipsos. And I'm not even plugging. They're not paying me. I mean, but I, I, I actually really respect their work. Thank you, Scott. Um, really appreciate your advice. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. So, okay. So here's the deal. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Emmanuel and I are going to discuss how IKEA branded downtown living. We also might discuss how I can't put anything together from IKEA and I've thrown some things away because I got so damn frustrated. But what they've done as a brand is pretty freaking amazing. If you can't wait till our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Emmanuel, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can contact him on Twitter where his handle is Emmanuel P-R-O-B-S-T. Or they can visit the company websites at ipsos.com and it's actually backslash en.us. Just one link to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to the podcast, head over to the rebrandpod.com. We'll have summaries of all our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to that newsletter. You know you can. Or if you want to talk about the most impactful marketing campaign you've been a part of or you've wanted to be, apply to be a guest on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handles at rebrandpod on all the stuff, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can contact me directly. I'm on that Twitter right now. It's crazy in Twitter right now. So buckle up. But I'm on Twitter. It's Sharky AZ. You can also find me on all the good stuff. I'm even on damn TikTok. It's Scott Harkey. I'm not the financial Scott Harkey in Charlotte, but he's killing it too. Shout out to that Scott Harkey. But uh, I'm on uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, all the good stuff. Always reach out, especially if you're a marketer. I'd love it. If you haven't subscribed yet and you want to daily stream of campaign brilliance in your podcast phase, we'll publish the episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button, your podcast app, and we'll be right back in your feed the next business day. I love when I get the podcast, it sets me a little alert on my phone. I'm like, all right, here's another episode. Let's go. Let's let's see how stupid I sounded or how good I sounded. Who knows? But it's cool to have it there. Uh, I have all my favorite podcasts I do that with and it just hits me up and uh, it's kind of how I continue to learn. But that's it for today. Remember, next time, it's never too late to rebuild, reboot, or rebrand.